Hello, hello. So welcome to the first official recording of the Speaking Up with Emily podcast. This is the first time I have sat down to have a conversation with someone and recorded it. Um, And I have been having these conversations, I would say, at least since I started working in the mental health field. And so I thought it would be appropriate to bring on someone who I've had many conversations with about a variety of different mental health and social justice related topics. Um, And that is my dad, Dwight Price. And he can tell you more about himself, but for now, would you like to say hello? Hello, and I'm honored to be your first guest. Thank you, thank you. So what would you like to tell, uh, share about yourself? About myself? I'm retired at this point. Uh, I've had uh, two careers, basically, in what I would, what I consider uh, public service, one as an attorney and one uh, as uh, uh, the executive director of a trade association in the electrical business, which was a lot about training electricians and others to be uh, to be safe, you know, and uh, to do good work. So um, I lived in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. In, um, in a small townhouse at this point. I have um, uh, three adult children, including you, Emily, and, mm-hmm. and your brother and sister. And uh, life is good, so. Okay. Uh, what's like a fun fact about you? Something you enjoy doing or interesting thing about you? Well, I play a lot of pickleball now. <laughs> I was hoping you would say that. I think that's a uh, it's kind of funny because uh, pickleball, strangely enough, even though it's just an, an oddball game and it's meant to be mostly fun, although it's gotten pretty competitive, um, it's always kind of funny to mention it to people because even now, even though the, the game was invented back in 1965 uh, uh, out uh, in near Seattle, Washington, it's taken all this time to catch on and move across the country and so on. It's becoming very popular now. But it's just a lot of fun. And uh, for me in retirement, along with uh, your mom and my wife, Janet, um, uh, she likes to play. And uh, so it's something we can do together. It's something that's social. It's a game that's social. It gives us good exercise. And also uh, for people who are older, one of the best things they can do uh, to keep their, um, their mind sharp uh, is to do physical things that involve thinking. Uh, so for instance, ballroom dancing is cited as one of the best things you could possibly do because you have to think to do the ballroom dancing and you obviously have to move. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and some games are like that and pickleball is like that too. You're constantly thinking. You're thinking as you hit shots, you're thinking of strategies uh, and then you're using a fair amount of movement so you get good exercise. So to me, that's been a really important thing in, in retirement. And I like to kid people. I mean, to some extent, I'm not kidding. But sometimes my prescription for people, uh, uh, if they're looking uh, for something uh, more in their lives uh, to, uh, to, bring, to bring some energy uh, and, uh, and to, to just be, have some fun is, is pickleball. Oh, it is pickleball. <laughs> 
thought you were going to say maybe like exercise. Well, but no, no, but it's a form of exercise. Pickleball, well, like you said, I guess it sounds like part of what is unique about pickleball is the mental aspect of it in addition to the physical work and how you're coordinating. Yeah, that's part that of it. I mean, there, there are a lot of games like that, but but basically, uh, you know, people talk about, uh, you know, old, older people should do crossword puzzles. Well, I think that the and and that is probably a good idea, and it's probably good for your your brain health. Uh, but I think the scientists now have figured out, or at least I hear a lot of um, evidence that combining things that are both physical and mental are some of the best ways you can spend your time. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, and research changes over time, right? We learn new things. I. My friend Leah, you know her, she works with adults with dementia, and she has told me that research shows, at the very least, it doesn't matter what the activity is. For example, it doesn't have to be a crossword puzzle, and it's more so just, are you challenging your brain? So as long as your brain is feeling that tension of having to be challenged a little bit, then any activity is going to help ward off dementia. Mm -hmm. So um, that's, you know, that's a good, I was going to ask you a mental health tip in general. So would you say that would be your mental health tip? Play pickleball? Sure. Well, no, but to be active, in other words, um, <clears throat> to keep your brain health and your mental health, I think, uh, being uh, physically active and mentally active and, and preferably doing both at the same time is probably the best thing you can do. Mm -hmm. That's my, that's my tip. I mean, I think a lot of times I, I do have a history of depression. Um, I, I come from um, <clears throat> a family that had, uh, you know, a father who had severe depression throughout his adult life. And I suffered uh, with depression through most of my adult life and actually through through teenage years and so on, um, never had it uh, to the level that my father had it, where it was completely debilitating. Um, uh, he had to he had to take breaks and, and go into the hospital and so on. I was always able to to work. I never left um, my work uh, because I had depression, uh, but I've been dealing with it for a long time. And I do think that one of the things, uh, one of many, but one of the things that was most helpful to me uh, in the past was exercise, getting activity, just getting up and moving, which is hard to do when you're depressed. It's right. sometimes the last thing you want to do. Mm -hmm. You don't want to move. You don't, you don't want to. And, and I'm not talking about people who are so severely depressed that they, they literally can't move because I've seen that. And so, but I'm talking about if you're at a level where, uh, you're able to move and you can make a choice to move, then, then move, you know, make walk, walk, uh, run, play a game, well, do something, uh, exercise. Yeah. Uh, not to interrupt you, but that is something that I feel like I encounter a lot working in the mental health field is that people want there to be this magic fix, right? Like they wish there was a pill that did it all. Right. Or like, I think, Sometimes people don't realize it's the little things, such as 
getting exercise, forcing yourself to be social, even if you don't feel like it, you know, eating right. It's really, in my opinion, those little things that then add up to maintain wellness and mental health. Um, and exercise is definitely, I think at the top of the list, even just, you know, physiologically speaking, how it can, you know, pump up our endorphins and dopamine and all that stuff. No, I, I agree with that. Uh, but there, uh, sometimes you need to take a pill. Oh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, some, I agree. <laughs> some people need to take a pill. And no, in fact, I agree. It's fact, not a uh, magic pill. Is what I'm well, it is. Okay. It's not, a, <laughs> it's not a magic pill, but, um, you know, I went through probably about 50 years of having uh, depressive episodes where they would last anywhere from six months to a year. And I would get them like every year or two. <laughs> and uh, it was just um, the whole world went from color to, to black and white and gray. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really, I just couldn't, there wasn't that much I could do about it. I finally did um, find a good psychiatrist who was able to help me find some medication that made a difference. And so now um, I take something on a regular basis, which kind of uh, it provides like a maintenance level. I guess it has to do with uh, serotonin uptake or whatever. Mm -hmm. But uh, so now I don't get the deep depressions uh, that I that I used to. Um, sometimes I wonder if I get the highs that I used to. Mm. <laughs> but um, in any event, uh, um, I'll make that trade. Yeah, well, that's the double-edged sword of psychiatric medication. It mm -hmm. has very valuable be benefits, but also usually comes with some side effects. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no, I definitely believe medication is nothing that people should be ashamed of, is something that can be extremely helpful to mental health treatment. It can make a huge difference, right? Like it can, yeah. like you were saying, it can feel like magic maybe isn't the right word, but like, wow, I can't believe if I take this, how different I can feel. Um, right. I guess I'm a big believer in that it's always going to take more than that, or it's going to also take lifestyle choices. Yeah. And yeah, that, I agree with that the, pill can't do it all but that right. the pill can be a huge part of maybe what sets you up to be able to do the other things right like <laughs> find that teensy bit of motivation that's somewhere in you to go play pickleball or take that walk um well and going back what, you're, to you're, what you yeah. said i mean i think some for some people they don't need the pill i mean yeah. they they can make lifestyle change uh, choices that will put them in a place where they can have a, a, a good life. Um, but uh, some people, I think it's, it's, it's chemical imbalance largely, and at least in my case. And um, so some people need some assistance, but. Or according to the naturopathic doctor, it's a gluten, gluten intolerance, right? Was <laughs> uh, it gluten or dairy? That she well, said? that was just one theory. One theory. Well, and that's part of it too. I think why I always advocate for, attacking it from many angles because you really don't know what the you can, <laughs> i can cut out this 
okay. moment. Um, you really don't know what the answer is going to be, right? Or what that one thing is going to be that works. So right. I think it makes sense to attack it from different angles. Um, and so some people go the fully holistic route, right? And they're like, well, I'm only going to make lifestyle changes. <clears throat> Other people are open to the more, uh, what would you call it? Traditional medicine, modern medicine, modern medicine. Um, I'm curious if you're willing to speak on it, what your impression is of how depression is received by others in terms of when you were young versus now, like now you're very openly, comfortably sharing that you take a medication. Did you feel comfortable sharing that back when you were young? No, not at all. And, and I, uh, I hid it. I, I, I became an expert in hiding it. In fact, I, I, I was voted uh, along with Ronnie Sterling in my high school class to be we were the two most affable people in our class of 635 people. All right. I'm going to need a dictionary. Affable, uh, friendly. Okay. Yeah. Very out outgoing, friendly. Yeah. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but inside or behind that, uh, and, and oftentimes, I guess it was a cover. Uh, I often felt this depression. I felt a lot of anxiety. Uh, and uh, sometimes that would turn into depression. I, I guess sometimes my, one of my theories is that, that some people are depressed. It's just anxiety that builds up and builds up and builds up. And then mm. it, 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 it morphs into another form, uh, which is depression. And so I had that. I wouldn't, my parents didn't know. They, they didn't know if they knew they would have tried to help me, but they didn't know. Uh, so I hit it from them. I hit it from pretty much everybody except for maybe a few close friends uh and then and then uh, as i got into my 20s um i i reached out and to you know to a psychologist i guess and you know to doctors and and kind of tried to figure this out therapist and and i went to i went to probably several therapists or psychologists for over in my 20s and 30s and then it wasn't until, like I say, in my 40s or almost 50, when finally I started to use some medication. But until then, uh, so so you're talking about high, you know, so, yeah, it's it, it's much less taboo a subject than now than it was then. Uh, back then, mental health, mental illness uh, was not something that you would talk about uh, or tell other this? people about. Well, uh, I was born in 52, so through the 50s, maybe maybe through the 60s, by the 70s, I think people were talking more. Okay. So it sounds like once you started taking medication, that helped the depression to improve. What was the shift in terms of sharing it with others? When, if at all, did you start sharing it more and why? I still don't share it very much. Uh, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding uh, of depression. People who have not experienced it don't really, um, not all of them, but many of them don't understand it. And I think there's still a bit of a stigma. So, uh, so, so people, you say, I'm depressed, or they go, what's wrong with you? And I say, I'm down or whatever, or they, so they decide, they decide you're depressed whether you say it or not. 
And a lot of people um, just think, well, come on, let's get up and get going here. Uh, you know, what are you, what are you sitting around for? Uh, they, right. and they don't understand uh, that uh, it's not quite that easy. And sometimes there's a medical component and so on. So, right. But um, how does that fit into what we were saying earlier about how oftentimes the solution or part of the solution to depression is to force yourself to get up right and to force yourself to do the things that you don't want to do because i actually have read research that says that that does improve symptoms to go partake in activities and kind of overcome that uh the technical word is called anhedonia that is the feeling of when you lose interest in activities that you once enjoyed and it's that feeling of not having motivation so I agree in a sense that we can't tell depressed people to just get over it and get up out of bed. However, how does that fit with the idea that sometimes it does require that push and. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, uh, sometimes the push is important. My, my father, when he came back from world war two, uh, he, he, he got into the war right at the end. And so he was not in battles, but he was part of occupying forces. He was all over. Uh, he spent time all over Europe, Norway, France, Germany. Uh, he had just gotten out of uh, high school when he went into the army. And uh, it was probably, even though it was the end of a war, it was probably the most exciting time of his life. Uh, when he came home, and was at home with his parents and and um, an, an overbearing sister. <laughs> uh, he fell into a deep depression, and uh, he couldn't get out of it by himself. And other people couldn't talk him out of it. And my uncle Bob, uh, my my uh, uh, my aunt's uh, my aunt's husband, in other words, my father's sister's husband, Uncle Bob, just literally, he told me he literally said, Charlie, that's it. And he literally bent down to put his arms under his, under his arms and pulled him up and stood him up and said, that's it, Charlie, we got to get going here. And that was the beginning of his, um, his coming back from that. So not a push, but a physical, pull <laughs> a physical pull out of bed was a physical yeah, pull. Yeah. He was while well, sitting in a chair, but still, and yeah. I think that's a delicate balance, right? Between pushing someone while not invalidating their struggle. Right. right? Yeah. So I think at least my opinion on the subject is proceed with care. If you're gonna, or proceed with care and understanding, if you're going to try to push someone out of their comfort zone, try to meet them where they're at, try mm -hmm. to respect their boundaries, but also keep in mind that they have a little voice in their head that is depression, that is making them resistant to probably what will help them. Yeah, I would um, agree with that. Um, but you're talking about, you know, what did I do? I did part of, part of why I would come out of the depressions, I guess, uh, and why I was reasonably successful by most, uh, by, by most scales, uh, during all those years as I did push myself I mean, I did, I did very difficult things. In fact, I was a trial attorney. You talk about anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> I, know. Of... I, I mean, I'm a therapist. I have anxiety and depression. I have social workers 
attorney friends, teacher friends who, I mean, everyone. Yeah. A lot of people doing very serious work, serious work and stressful work. So yeah, right. Right. So yeah, exactly. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, I was able to push, uh, through and, and do that. And that, that probably helped my depression too. The, the fact that I was busy actually, and for me, it wasn't an option and I wasn't so debilitated that, you know, that I didn't have options. It wasn't really an option in my view to just lay around and, and, you know, maybe not go to work or, or just kind of give up, uh, just wasn't an option. Mm -hmm. Not, not my, not my family, not the way I grew up. Yeah. Well, and going to work probably was helpful ultimately. Right. Um, yeah. So then how about, this is backtracking a little bit, but how, at what point did you, oh, well, I guess you said you still are not super open about it, but it sounds like you're at least more open about it now. Like, did oh, yeah. you ever tell your mother? Did you tell your brother? Did you, obviously you're, I'm your immediate family. So I know within our immediate family, we're mm -hmm. all aware that you have depression. Um, yeah, I talked to my mother about it uh, some, you know, later in later years after it already largely addressed it, but just, uh, I don't know, just, just in the course of things to kind of talk about some of the things that had happened, uh, you know, when my brother and I grew up, um, <clears throat> I could talk about it very openly to people uh, like yourself who were in the mental health uh, uh, profession. Uh, one of my best friends uh, is a psychologist and I've known him, since, known him since seventh grade and I could talk to him about pretty much anything. So it was, uh, it was helpful to talk to friends sometimes too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So even with stigma changing and people being more accepting of depression, I think sometimes people still feel safe with certain people. Right. And so I think that's okay too. Right. Everyone's different. Not everyone is going to be screaming from the rooftops that they have depression. Not everyone is going to be hiding it to the point where no one in their life knows. And sometimes to the point where oftentimes like, or not often, but I've heard plenty of instances where people take their own life and everyone's shocked and they're right, like, they wow, that person was affable. Affable, right. <laughs> um, they, they could hide it. Right. Right. So yeah. I think everyone has to figure out what they're comfortable with. Um, and you, I think were very lucky to have anybody. I think you or anyone is lucky to even just have one person that they maybe feel comfortable opening up to. And for example, do you think that would have made any difference if you had had even just one person you would have been able to talk to about it back when it was at its most severe? Uh, yeah, I think it would have helped. Um, I sometimes look back and I and I and I look at that kid. I look at myself and I think and it, and it breaks my heart. You know, like it was a a terrible thing to go through. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm sure if my parents knew, they would feel the same way. But um, yeah. And so if, so if I had, uh, if let's just say hypothetically, uh, if they realized that that was a big issue for me and they, they took me to a therapist or whatever who helped me and I got to talk about it, I think, I think I probably could have worked through everything that I've been working on all my life, uh, probably worked through it much earlier. Sooner. Yeah. 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 
So what do you think is the emotion that, or I, this is a leading question. So I'll just say what I'm thinking. I feel sometimes it's shame or embarrassment that prevents people from sharing that they're feeling depressed or maybe just what nervousness. You don't know how the other person is going to react. Maybe you're having a hard time accepting it about yourself. So if you say it out loud, then it becomes real. Like, I think there's so many different reasons why people don't speak up. Um, And I think that that, like you're saying, it, it uh, allows suffering to happen that could be prevented or at least better managed. So what do you think, what would you want to encourage people to think about if they are feeling depressed, but having a hard time letting someone know? Uh, Well, I I agree with the reasons that you described that people don't let others know. It could be, you know, embarrassment or, um, yeah, the, the, the kinds of things you talked about. So, and that's why, like, as a, if I'm a 15-year-old teenager, I don't really know how to go about getting help. Uh, I didn't want to, I guess I didn't want to talk to my parents about it. Maybe I was ashamed. Uh, but um, uh, but when I was, you know, confused. But when I was older, you know, by my 20s, started to, you know, learn how to take care of myself a little bit, how to investigate things and how to find help. Uh, so... Does that answer the question? Maybe, maybe it doesn't. I don't know. I don't know that it answers the question, but I think it highlights how depression can be different depending on what stage of life you're in. So I work with kids and I think about my kids that I work with who are 14, 15 years old, and they're just trying to figure out life in general, let alone understanding their emotions. Um, so yeah i think i think it makes sense that as you get older just with life experience you start to learn more about yourself you learn more about the world and maybe become more open to yeah seeking treatment talking to people um so i think for me that just tells us that we as adults need to keep an eye on children and we as adults need to practice being comfortable talking about these things so that kids can spot adults in their life that they feel are safe Mm -hmm. to share this with. And then same with adult to adult, like, you know, even within my friendships, my family relationships, I consider myself very blessed in that I have relationships where I do talk to people about my mental health and my friends tell me about their mental health and I know my group, my girlfriends were just texting about which anxiety medication like they've heard about. And so I just, yeah, I think depression is somewhat of a universal experience. Um, Yeah. I'd like to see uh, more doctors. Like when you go to the doctor now, a lot of times, you know, it might be for any number of things, but could just be a regular checkup, but oftentimes they'll ask you, particularly they'll ask women, are you, are you the subject of abuse of some kind? In other words, some things that are oftentimes uh, 
uh, oftentimes present in people's lives that they don't generally talk about, but need to be talked about if, if they're happening. And mental, mental illness should probably be something like that. It probably is with some doctors, not all. They could, they could make it part of their examination just on a routine basis. You know, how's your mental health? How are you doing? Have you, have you had any, suffered any depression in the last, mm -hmm. uh, you know, six months or a year, whatever it is? Uh, and then if somebody says yes, then they can ask the question you ask uh, later. Have you ever thought about, you know, harming yourself or, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, I'd like to do a whole episode on self-harm and suicidal ideation. Um, and we are running out of time here, but I agree with that tactic of more screening. And I think that stigma and discomfort with talking about these things, I think that even affects doctors because I have looked in doctor's paperwork and I've seen sections of the paperwork that are supposed to be where the doctor asks about depression. And I've seen that they filled in an answer and they had never asked me. So I think people oh. skip that section oh. or they sometimes even like I do. Well, why, why would they skip it? Well, exactly. That's what I'm saying is even people who are medical professionals have a hard time talking about these things. Oh, okay. They, they, they skip it. You're saying they skip it because they don't want to talk about it. Um, they don't want to get into it. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, you brought so much valuable information. So thank you so much thank you. for sharing so openly. I appreciate it. Uh, it kind of gets me to, helps me to put some perspective on my life. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe someone else can relate to something you said. So I thank so. you for speaking up, Dwight. You're Dad. quite welcome, <laughs> <laughs> Emily. Right. Bye.